Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Christopher Gilbert on the line. Christopher, how are you? Wonderful. How are you? I am awesome. As we're talking about a little bit in the pre-show, really looking forward to this conversation and the work you're doing right now in the book you have, uh, the timing of it is perfect. So I want you to share a little bit about you and then we'll dive into this important conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. I wish I could say that the timing of this book was planned, um, but it wasn't. It really came out as a product of uh, probably 30 years worth of working uh, in organizations and with individuals in the subject area. Uh, very briefly, I actually started off as a geologist and uh, spent too much time on the North Slope looking for gravel as an engineering geologist and freezing various appendages off in minus 120 wind chill weather. So decided there had to be a better way, went back and got my MBA, uh, went from there into teaching at the university level. Uh, and then I had an option to uh, uh, become part of an entrepreneurial organization in the mid 80s, we raised about a million and a half in venture capital. And that's actually the first story in my book, which was uh, quite a, a difficult story because we had to, uh, our, our uh, idea got stolen by the organization we were working with, and we had to lay off 35 individuals who'd been hardworking and very dedicated. And that was probably one of the hardest days in my life. So after that, the idea of business ethics and ethics got planted in my brain. And I knew if I wanted to be a cowboy, I better get cowboy boots and a cowboy hat. So I went off and got my PhD in uh, leadership ethics, and that led me to eventually write the book. Yeah, ethics is missing in so many aspects of life, or if they say it's ethics, they're a little slanted to say the least. But you know, all the challenges that we're facing right now in America with leadership, with recessions and inflation and the great resignation and all of these things all have a connection to ethical behavior by organizations and by individuals. And we've, we see it, you know, all the challenges that we're facing with, we'll, we'll pick on the great resignation for a moment. The problems that is forcing that when, you know, over 4 million Americans every month for the last, I would say, year and a half, resigning and leaving their jobs and going to do something else, it should be a screaming warning sign that something is wrong. And it didn't just happen because of the pandemic. It was building for a long time. It just, the pandemic kind of gave people either the courage or the kick or whatever analogy you want to use to go ahead and, and take the step to say, I, this is not the right place for me anymore because of how the organization is behaving, how the managers behave, the culture what we do to our clients, all of those things. So, yeah, I know your book touches on on that as well. And you know, going back real quick to you know what you mentioned, what a horrible feeling. And I went, my heart sunk a bit. You know, when you mentioned that, because and obviously it was in the book too, because you're working. An organization brings you in to do something as a collective. You're building this great thing, and then they just steal it from you. You're like, wait a minute. 
I was doing all of that. It's like the big, you know, sibling taking your lunch, you know, you're upset about it and hopefully your parents will take care of it. But in this situation, in many ways, it was the parent that was taking the food away. So it's just a, what a horrible thing, but I'm glad you've moved on from that. And, and it gave you that spark to do something really important that is desperately needed in this world. Yeah, in this case, and I think with anybody, uh, my calamity was my providence. Um, it really allowed me to flourish in this world um, and uh, to try and bring a sense of uh, rebuilding trust or trustworthiness into organizations to really point out how much more profitable and productive organizations that take on the mantle of uh, ethical behavior or social responsibility are compared to other organizations. In fact, I'll, I'll toss out a couple of stats here. In the early days, 25 years ago, we didn't really have any many numbers about how much more profitable it was to be ethical or not ethical. In fact, on the surface of things, it looked like uh, you actually got more profitable if you ignored ethics. But it turns out, uh, I'll use one poll every year, Gallup and uh, Ethisphere do a poll comparing the top 100 uh, most ethical organizations to the bottom 100. And they've got several parameters that they utilize uh, and uh, polls that they do with the consumers um, to figure out the top 100 and bottom 100. Well, it turns out the top 100 compared to the bottom 100, the top 100 are 21% more profitable they're 28% more productive. They have 48% less absenteeism in the top 100 most ethical companies compared to the bottom 100. So that behavior spills out all over the place for organizations that really want to be efficient. They really want to do a good job. They really want to be more profitable and they want to focus on taking care of uh, their employees, as you were pointing out, um, and the consumers that they've got, which is really the mission of every company. And when they're acting ethically, they're looking at, you know, it's kind of like a, the 360 degree, you know, review type of thing. But their organizations that are behaving that way are doing that. They're looking at every aspect of their business from their carbon footprint to how they're providing the benefits for their employees. Are those benefits still valid today. Things have changed over these last couple of years. I know many organizations that have gone back to their teams and said, okay, your benefits, let's look at them. What, what do you need now? Is there something different? Do we need a little bit more flexibility? The whole work remotely versus hybrid versus in office kind of thing, the flexibility to help people where their needs are now, because in many cases they've changed. There's a lot of people that became caregivers during this pandemic or the kids were being homeschooled and people figured out really quick, wait a minute, my kids were in school the same time I was at work. How's that work? Well, we, spoiler alert, it didn't. So it, it really created a lot of issues. So flexibility of those organizations uh, really helped a lot. And again, that's being flexible and treating people right is ethically sound. And a lot of organizations that are just chasing the profit, and I'm not saying that profit isn't important, that's growth business, that's what keeps things moving along. But if that is your only focal point, eventually your customers, your people, everyone's going to figure that out. And you're going to be on the bottom of that Gallup list instead of towards the top. My preference would be towards the top. What do I need to do to do that? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I think uh, part of what has to happen, and I do a lot of strategic planning work in uh, some organizations too, um, you really have to look at uh, the idea of being ethical, the idea of social responsibility. And I'll use a broad definition of social responsibility because every organization has to decide how far it wants to go out the circle to be socially responsible. Social responsibility for an organization 
for any organization is really about maximizing the organization's positive impact on society and minimize the organization's negative impact on society. If we take that on as a mantle for the things that we do, we actually tap into something that's going to sound a little philosophical. We actually tap into something that's inside all of us. And that's that idea that we want to have a world better tomorrow than it is today. We actually have inside of us an innate desire to see the world better off tomorrow than it is today. And if you've got any question about that, I've done this in a number of my seminars, ask someone, do you want the world to be worse than, the same as, or better than uh, it is now for your children? And 90% of the people that are there basically say, we want it to be better. And there it is. I, I've got an innate desire to actually move the world forward to create a civilization that's more tomorrow than it is today. And so the things that you're talking about inside of organizations, and aren't they uh, huge entities to be able to take on this mantle and do something about it? Um, those organizations that really uh, tap into that desire, that innate human desire uh, to create a better civilization tomorrow. And again, it's not meant to be philosophical. Um, it really is inside of us to do this, this idea of change for the better. The organizations that tap into that wind up, as I said, being more profitable, more productive. Um, they've got employees that are happier with what it is they're doing. And all those things wind up being better for a company and better for the stockholders that own the company. And that's, again, taking care of everybody. You know, if it's publicly traded, you, know, you have to focus on what the, the shareholders want because they're investing their money. And of course, the proceeds and profits that they get from that, they can invest into other organizations. And if you're an ethically strong company, then typically, not always, but typically you have a group of investors. And before I continue, this is not investment advice. It's investment commentary, no opinion. Don't you know, use your own skills and learn how to invest and all that good stuff. But what I find is a lot of people will invest in certain types of industries or companies or missions and things like that. So those organizations will get the capital investments to help them grow and expand and have a larger, um, of course, you know, low carbon, hopefully footprint on, on what they're doing in the world. And that impacts the communities they're in, their employees, the way that their employees behave, which in turn has this ripple effect because yes, ethical in business is one thing, but ethical in living your life and leading your towns, your countries, your states, you know, the world, you know, it all connects. And if people are behaving ethically, then that reduces a lot of the strain that we're seeing in the world today and have, of course, for quite some time. It, it has its ebbs and flows. But uh, right now, with everything that seems to be going on in the world, you know, it, you have to question, okay, you know, where is the ethical behavior and, and some of the things that we're seeing? And I think you're right in this evolution of what uh, uh, ethics is to organizations. It's the same for us as individuals. Um, I think in the past, ethics has been looked at from a legal perspective. So if as a CEO, I'm doing something that's legal or the organization is, then it's got to be ethical. Well, it's interesting because the legal conversation is really the low bar in an ethical conversation. Uh, the legal conversation is actually where we start that conversation. Because if you think about it, uh, law tells us what we can do. It's ethics that tell us what we should do. And that's really where we want our, our, our uh, attention pointed at, or I would imagine as consumers with an organization nearby, if you're looking at it, you want them wondering what it is that they should do, not just what they can do. 
because the can-do leads to all sorts of things like uh, shifting labor to overseas markets and then you've got child labor um, or shifting pollution to overseas markets because their laws are different than our laws when it comes to that. And of course, the world is the world. So if I pollute somewhere else, it's eventually going to wind up where I am anyway. And this is, I guess, this, the uh, aspect of what I'll call or what's called systems thinking where we really have to think about not only our actions as individuals or corporations or whatever the organization is, but we have to think about um, what that's doing, how it ripples out to the system around us that keeps us as an organization or as an individual healthy. Um, we see a lot of this currently in, the, uh, in individuals struggling um, for rights and freedoms, right? Very interesting discussions going on, um, some of them not, uh, not as interesting as others, but the push for rights you know, it's very interesting. Liberty is a very important concept, but liberty without responsibility is anarchy. So you really have to put those two together hand in hand. Liberty is very important, but it must come because there are more than me. There's all of us in this society. It must come with a sense of responsibility for one another as well. And that's really literally what society is. And if ethics are at the heart of that sense of responsibility for each other, then we've got a system that's gonna help us to move forward rather than stay neutral or in some cases move backwards. And we're seeing that, especially in the US and of course other parts of the world as well. But in the US, you know, just the dialogue is you know, an us against them type of situation where when I, and I know people that are on both sides of the political spectrum, you know, some are radically on one side and radically on the other, but many people, you know, tend to gravitate a little bit more towards the middle. And, and what happens is, and I tell people this, you know, we have a lot more in common than we have different. Yes, we have some differences of views on certain hot button, quote unquote, topics that um, gets portrayed in the media a lot, sensationalist in many cases, doesn't matter what flavor of the news you watch, it's all sensationalism uh, because they need the ratings because the ratings pays their salaries. I get it. I, I understand. I, I did take an economics class once, so I understand it a um, long time ago. I had hair back then. But at the, <laughs> at, at the end of the day, you know, it. <laughs> we have a lot more in common in having an ethical dialogue saying, okay, and, and just seeking to understand, you know, and some of the work that I do, cause I, I do a little bit of cognitive behavioral therapy and uh, neuro-linguistic programming, you know, dabble in it. I did it more, more for my, you know, burnout consulting and things like that, that I do just to get a better understanding of what people are going through. But, you know, I, I'll ask them, okay, well, why is this important to you? And, you know, sometimes, it's important to them because the news told them that was. You got to think a little deeper than that, and you got to. And why is it really important to you? It doesn't matter what topic it happens to be. There's plenty to choose from that everybody seems to be upset about. But it's like, okay, why is this important? Okay, wh where's a common ground? Is there a common ground where we could? It's like in any negotiation. Okay, I'm going to give you a little bit. I'm going to get back a little bit and go back and forth. And we get to a thing where at least we're in an agreement that, okay, it's not the ideal world. We're not getting everything we want, but we're getting some things that we want. And everyone can walk away from the table going, okay, we've accomplished ultimately at least the baseline of what we want in life and approach it from an ethical standpoint instead of this 
bickering and you know yelling and all that stuff. That doesn't mean that behind the scenes these people aren't having uh, more polite conversations. I don't know. You know that's what that's why doors are to close. We don't necessarily see that, but for our politicians, for our world leaders, for our business leaders, our managers, our families, everybody approach life and approach others with an ethical basis of do no harm, seek to understand, help people along the way. It's going to make this world so much better for all of us. And that means everything that we buy, consume, everything will be better because we're all in a better, healthier state when we're producing and creating. You know, absolutely. And that's that idea of systems thinking, which came out of biology. So you think about the human body or whatever's inside of you, if it's not working on behalf of keeping the system alive, then literally it kills the system off that's keeping it living. And we can say the same thing with society or community, right? That we have to cooperate to move forward, even if we're moving at 90 degrees to each other. Um, I'll use a quote from Cicely Bach, who wrote a great book called Lying, uh, in fact. And the quote basically is that whatever matters to humans, trust is the atmosphere in which it thrives. Now, if you come up to a four-way stop sign, what am I watching? Am I watching people who understand which uh, state law they, they must follow? Um, so I pull up to that four-way stop and I go, oh, God, yeah, Revised Code of Washington 17-85-95A says I got to stop here. I don't do that. I pull up to that stop sign because I know the best way that you and I are going to move forward, even if we're 90 degrees to each other, is that we trust I'll stop and we trust that you'll stop. What's making that four-way stop sign work the best is the trust between us. So it's a great exercise in watching what you're saying, how much better the world works when we trust each other than when we don't. Because if you imagine a world where half of us don't believe in a four-way stop sign, and I can no longer trust that everybody who's pulling up is going to stop the, uh, you know, at the intersection. Um, in fact, I know 50% of us aren't going to stop at that intersection. I really have two choices. Uh, and the same is true for the people who don't believe in the four-way stop sign. They've really got two choices. And so this is going to affect the quality of their lives. They're either going to come to that four-way stop and wait for every single car to have gone through it at enough of a distance that they can get through safely. Um, or they're going to come up to it and tromp their foot on the accelerator, close their eyes and hope, well, I'm sure this is going to work or I hope this works to get through it. But either way, you're actually impacting the quality of your life. If you don't believe in four-way stop signs and you're not exercising that trust, it actually slows you down. So it's kind of interesting to think about it, all these people who want to get rid of uh, the mantle of uh, having to be responsible with each other for the way the system works to think about uh, what they're missing. Um, and how much worse their uh, situations are if we're not building trust between us um, to operate properly and continue down the road for whatever this community decides that it wants to do. It is a great human experience to observe people in a four-way stop. It's uh, sometimes entertaining. I can look and sometimes I can even grade by what types of cars are in those four positions and I'll, I'll know, and I'm not going to pick on any brands because none of them sponsor me, but I don't you never, you don't want to badmouth one in case for some reason a, a company says, yeah, we want to sponsor your show. But at the end of the day, it's an interesting dynamic to watch that for me, I approach it as, okay, I know which um, position I'm supposed to go. Let's ease into it. And if someone zooms, then make sure that I'm not 
you know, stomping on the gas to fly through it. I'm not crawling because that's just going to confuse others. But ultimately, you hope that everyone knows, you know, the rules of it. In many cases, they don't or they forgot. And that that's that's understandable. But I think, again, going into it and going back, and you've said this a few times, and I definitely want to highlight it is the responsibility component. Uh, I used to work in healthcare for a long time and primary care specifically. So a lot of patients would come in, they've got all kinds of different issues, diabetes, heart disease, you name it. And they come to the physician, they want their prescriptions and all this kind of stuff, but they don't take the responsibility to making improvements in their life where they can either A, get off of those medications or B, just start feeling better. They, people have a responsibility for their own health. We tend to think it, it's the hospitals and the doctors and the nurses. They're supposed to fix us. No, we are. Us, individuals. We, we, we take ownership of this. This is ours. Doesn't anybody else? It's, it's ours. So we have to take care of it. But too often people, unfortunately, through lack of education or who knows, the human dynamic, they 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 don't take care of themselves. And then going back to your biology comment a few minutes ago, the body goes, oh, you're not taking care of this. Well, you know, I guess we don't need this anymore. You start shutting things down. And then, you know, you, you, you shorten your lifespan and your quality of life isn't as good just because you're not taking personal responsibility of how you live. And I think everyone should take personal responsibility, how they live, how they approach others, how they live their life, how they lead no matter what you do in life, you know, approach it with an ethical basis of doing no harm and, and making this world better for others. You do that, um, it's going to change this world. No, absolutely true. Uh, I, you know, somehow or other, we've gotten into our heads, and I think this is not just in our culture, but many, many other cultures, that uh, ethics and, and moral growth or moral responsibility are somehow the uh, uh, area for big thinkers or uh, religious leaders who spent their time deepening in this subject area. And I think the uh, outcome of that is everybody or many people feel that ethics are gray. Uh, I don't really know what's right or wrong. And I point this out in my book, as well as some of my talks that, you know, saying ethics are gray is sort of like using the phrase, I'm sort of pregnant, um, or I sort of voted, or I'm sort of human. Uh, when in fact you are, or you aren't, you did, or you didn't, ethics are really there to tell us right from wrong. Now the situation, may make it very difficult to see the right and the wrong and the actions that I need to take. Maybe the uh, cost of taking the most right actions is so high, I can't do it yet. We need to sort of see a change in our society or change in our system. But ethics are really there to be able to tell us what's right and what's wrong. And rather than thinking about it as gray or blurry, I think a much more effective way, uh, whether you're in an organization and the leader um, or you're an individual, um, is to really think of them more like the guardrails on the side of a bridge. So imagine coming up to a bridge that's uh, 200 feet over the water. We've got one here in uh, Seattle, the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. Um, I cross it every day. Imagine coming to that bridge and uh, it's uh, 60 miles an hour is the speed limit. And uh, crossing at 60 miles an hour, especially on a windy or snowy day, uh, if there were no guardrails along the side. Well, I don't know about you, but I'd probably get out of my car on this side, crawl across the bridge, get into my other car on the other side, do my errands, come back and do the reverse when I got home, because I don't want to take that chance of this railless bridge and looking down at the side, uh, again, especially if it's a windy or bad weather day. 
Um, and so rather than thinking about ethics uh, like a sin or a law or a policy and procedure or something prescriptive, it's much easier, I think, or much uh, uh, better, more effective to think of it more like those guardrails. Uh, those guardrails aren't about something wrong. Um, they're, they're, they're really a privilege. Um, and if you think about it, the guardrails allow us to go as fast as we want to be able to go, especially if there are other people going along the same direction or in the opposite direction on the other side, those guardrails really allow us to do the speed that we need to do and move forward in our lives um, and better um, if they were there than if they weren't there. And they're permanent. They don't change from person to person. They don't lift here and there. They're permanent and they're there to tell us the, the best path forward and moving forward. And so I think if we begin to think about ethics as a, as a privilege and a tool, um, something that really does help us see right from wrong, um, uh, it really allows us to be able to be empowered and to make our own choices. And I've got several tools in the book, very easy tools that are effective way to think about making choices, whether you're a corporation trying to make a very major choice about some competitor, um, or you're an individual making a very small choice. Um, and by the way, it's the smaller choices that really add up to the ethics that we see, the larger choices of corporations where they're defrauding people uh, like the Theranoses of the world, for instance, um, or they're laying lots of people off. Those are very high profile. It's, it's, it's interesting to watch them, but really it's our small choices every day that talk about the ethics that we have, cutting someone off on the freeway, fudging on our taxes, secondhand smoking. All those are examples of choices that we make. We may not think of them as ethical. But quite frankly, cutting someone off in the freeway, I can justify it pretty easy. If I need to get ahead of them, if they're going slower, if they cut me off and I want to show them, um, I can justify it. And that's exactly the way that the high profile people make the choices. They rationalize that what they're doing is right, um, even if it is unethical or sometimes even illegal. Um, so if we can begin to think about the power that we've got to make choices individually, small choices and large choices, it's actually going to make a change, as you're talking about, in this world around us. Because our better choices build trust. Building trust is what the world needs to operate. And so the community begins to change as we change. I love this conversation and uh, congratulations again on this book. Boy, I know you said before the timing it wasn't planned this way, but it certainly came out that way. So, Christopher, where can people find out more about you, your book, and all this amazing work you do? Well, thank you so much. Um, yeah, you can go to our website, which is uh, Noble Edge Consulting, all one word, nobleedgeconsulting.com. There'll be two E's in the middle, N-O-B-L-E-E-D-G-E, -E -E, nobleedgeconsulting.com. You can also pick a copy of the book up there or and see our work, um, or uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Indigo.com. Uh, all of the uh, online bookstores have it and uh, the brick and mortar nearby. We want to support those as well. The small bookstores have it or they can order it if you need to get it. Um, and by the way, just in the last week, we got the uh, best nonfiction book of the year award from the author's circle um, at Acorn Publishing, which was really, a, you know, there's a lot of awards out there that eh, I'm not sure you pay much attention to, but that one really made a difference. And so it's a, it's a good book. It can be used in the family room or the boardroom. Um, and I think uh, if we can get this conversation going in a different direction, it's actually going to wind up being uh, not only uh, good for us as a society, but profitable for us if we're involved in business. I definitely have that information in the show notes and congratulations on that well-deserved award. So again, Christopher, thank you so much for your time and all this amazing work you're doing. Well, thank you, Michael. It's a real privilege. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of The Breakfast Leadership Network. 
visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.